You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Everybody, all right. Hey, I was just actually uh, on the first row, and nobody has sat on the second row the last four weeks. And I was thinking, I hope someone rises to the challenge. And so, congratulations, Cody, you did it. And so, round of applause for the second row, everybody. Thank you. All right. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's go to Mark chapter twelve. Who's ready for uh, some politics? Anybody excited? Politics. All right, give it up. Uh, Mark 12 is where we're going to be. If you are a guest today, welcome. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. And on behalf of the pastors and members, really glad that you're with us, whether you're watching online or here in person. Um, if you want more information about us as a church, just want to kind of check us out, um, I would encourage you, grab a Connect card. It's there in front of you. You should see it in that back pocket in the seat. Fill out some information about your family. Leave it there. If you're online, there's a Connect link that'll be dropped for you. Click on that. Fill out the information. And that's just a way for us to know you're with us uh, so that we can serve you and love you to the best of our ability. Next week, uh, we're going to kick off a very important series that we've entitled Ghost Stories, which is kind of appropriate, right, for October. And it's going to be an eight-week-long uh, study on the person and the role of the Holy Spirit. We think this is going to be a very important series in the life of our church. So I want to encourage you to be here for that, uh, to tune in. But today, I'm going to do something that I never thought I would do, never done this before, um, and that is I'm going to uh, invite you to look with me to the scriptures and see what Jesus has to say on the issue of politics. Um, and I just want to say before you leave and try to like get out of here or, you know, scroll to the next video or whatever, um, let me just say this right out of the gate. Uh, I am not a politician. I am a pastor. And so just know that, that I am not going to be trying to get you to vote a certain way today. I'm not going to try to convert you to become a Republican or a Democrat, but rather because I know the next season of our life is going to be dominated by politics, I just want to make sure that I'm doing the best I can to shepherd you to actually engage this season the way that Jesus would. Does that make sense? And so, uh, thank you, Robert. I'm glad you're excited about that. And so, here's what I want to do. Um, I want to pray for us again. I think it's important um, that we do that, and then we'll dive into it. So, um, just take a moment where you are. Just close your eyes, whether you're home or you're here. Just close your eyes and just know this, um, that God is as present in this room right now as if, as if he was physically sitting next to you. So he's here. So I encourage you right now to just, um, where you are, just center your heart in his presence. And with that in mind, let's just talk to him together. Father, I know that the temptation is to come into a room like this um, probably just like my wife, there are those in the room today who've had to uh, wrestle with kids. Maybe even doing that right now. I'm so thankful for their commitment, uh, their dedication. I pray they would just feel your smile and your pleasure on their life right now. I pray that each person would know that no matter what they did last night, um, this week, you're so gracious, you're so kind. Uh, you're gentle and lowly, Jesus. That's that's your own uh, claim, your own uh, own admission. That's just who you are. 
So we do come right now together as a people who lament over the fact that we live in a broken and fallen world with a broken and fallen government. And I know that there are people in here who have been hurt by the abuse of power. Maybe they've been hurt in conversation about politics by others. Uh, Maybe they've been the ones who do the hurting. I don't know. But I pray that right now, the Holy Spirit, you would just do what only you can do. um, And that you would capture our mind and our attention and that you would transform our hearts, that you would align us with you on this issue of politics for our good, for the good of our city, and for your glory. It's in Christ's name that I pray, and I ask these things. Amen. Well, in the words of the world-renowned political commentator and everyone's favorite ghostbuster, Bill Murray, he says, and I quote, If we lie to the government, it's a felony. But if they lie to us, it's politics. Now, that's meant to be a little bit funny, um, but I think it represents the way most of us think of politics, in that whether it's because of an abuse of power or fake news, when it comes to the government, for the majority of Americans, I think that we think of this dishonest and broken system that uses people like us for the gain of corrupt politicians, which only as a result heightens a sense of tension and anxiety that we all feel during the election season. Because after all, the issues that we're dealing with really are important issues. If you stop and think about the issues that we're talking about in politics are issues like families being separated at the border, nuclear threats, racism, redefining sexuality and gender, planned parenthood, the list goes on and on. And because we live in a society that no longer really knows how to disagree with others, it seems like in our country right now there's this explosion of outrage and name-calling and gossiping and trolling and and demonizing our opponents. I was talking with an 84-year-old man just this past week, and he was telling me that in his entire life, he's never before in our country seen such a us-versus-them mentality. And he was beginning to tell me that what's happening now is we have this false sense of community to where we now are rallying together, not for what we're for, but for what we're against. And as hard as this is, it almost seems like an inescapable reality, doesn't it? I mean, everything is political right now. Have you noticed that? It's like from from mask to sporting events to everything in between. I mean, you can't do anything right now without a political, you know, you know, stance being assigned to your actions, which as a result seems to 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 really continue to create this this gap between two people groups, this gap that continues to wide as it's also being filled with hate, violence, venom, slander, and self-righteousness. And it's in this toxic environment that we find ourselves in, in the chaos of this moment. As disciples of Jesus, we really need to ask this question of how in the world does Jesus actually expect us to respond to politics? And I think on one hand, you have Christians who say, well, we are to withdraw. And these are those that I would say are apolitical, Um, whether it's because uh, they think politics really just is meant to be between them and God or because they're tired of all the noise and the spin and the corruption. These are people who say as Christians, what we really need to do when it comes to politics is just completely withdraw from the culture and the conversation. But on the other hand, you have people who are not apolitical, but you have those who I would say are all political. 
And these are people who are always watching Fox News or always watching CNN. And everything is a political issue. That is why if there's something wrong, it's a Republican's fault or it's a Democrat's fault. And these are people who typically, if you talk to them, you'll begin to realize they think the only way that we're going to experience hope and peace and happiness and security is by getting the right guy or the right gal into office. But I want you to know today, as we'll see on this next slide, the goal of a disciple is not to be apolitical or all political, but it is to be appropriately political. It is to engage politics the way Jesus engages politics. And so with that said, let's just look at Jesus. Mark chapter 12, we'll start in verse 13. And as always, the, uh, the notes for the, uh, the sermon of the day are on the YouVersion Bible app. If you want to access those, that's helpful. But here's what we read. Later, they, and by they, it's talking about the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. Now, I just need to stop right here and say this. Um, it's important that you know that the Pharisees and the Herodians are on two opposite ends of the political spectrum. The Pharisees hated the Roman government. They wanted a smaller government. The Herodians loved the Roman government, and they wanted it to be even bigger. But notice this. Even though they're on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, politically speaking, they are coming together to take down Jesus. And so this would be like, think about this, this would literally be equivalent to Joe Biden and Donald Trump teaming up to take down a religious leader in America today. Like that's how intense this moment is. And then look what happens in verse 14. They come to Jesus and they say, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Oh, that's just gross. Like, this isn't nice. It's gross. Like, what they're doing here is they're literally, they're so political. They are, they're, they're, they're trying to, to hide their attack in flattery. Like, they're, they're, they're literally, rather than being direct, they're just being passive aggressive. And then they ask this, this question that's meant to trap Jesus. And here's the question. Look at this, verse 14. Is it right to pay the poll tax to Caesar or not? Seems like a pretty simple question. Do we pay our taxes? Do we not pay our taxes? But here's what you have to understand. The Jews, whenever Jesus arrived, they really thought he was the long-awaited Messiah who was going to free them from the oppression of the Roman government. And so if Jesus says, yes, pay taxes to the Roman government... Guess what you're going to begin to think if you're a first century Jew? Okay, this guy's lame. He can't really free us from the, from the, from the Roman government. Like, he's not going to be able to save us. But on the other hand, if Jesus says, actually, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar, well, then the Pharisees and the Herodians can unleash the weight of the Roman Empire on Jesus. They can go to the Roman authorities and say, hey, this Jesus guy, he's a revolutionary. He's against Rome. He refuses to pay the tax, which then would lead to Jesus being arrested and possibly murdered. So this is an impossible situation that Jesus finds himself in. If he answers one way, he's going to lose his momentum in the ministry. If he answers another way, he could possibly be murdered. And in this incredibly intense moment, look what happens in verse 15. It says, because Jesus sensed, because he knew they were hypocrites. He says this, or he asks this, why are you trying to trap me? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So they brought the coin And he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then look at this, verse 17. This is just, he drops a bomb on them. Jesus says this. Well, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. And to God, what is 
gods. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this. Because Caesar's image is on the coin, the coin belongs to God. But because God's image is on you as a human, you belong to God. Put another way, you are to give your coins to Caesar, but you're to give your whole life to God. Isn't that just great? That's why after he answers this, it says they were amazed at Jesus. And what I want you to get here is if we were just to summarize what Jesus is getting at and really what the whole passage is trying to teach us and call us to is what Jesus is saying is this. We'll put it on the screen for you. You can see it here. As disciples, we have an obligation to government, but our ultimate allegiance is to God. And we have to understand both sides of this. So let me just break it down for you a little bit more. First off, as a disciple of Jesus, you have an obligation to the government. Again, in the words of Jesus, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. That is Jesus's way of affirming what all the scripture is teaching. And it's this reality. It is that government is actually a part of God's good design for creation. Believe it or not, government is not a result of the fall. Government is not here because of sin. When you read in Genesis 1, it says that God created the human, uh, humans, he created man and woman, and then he said to rule, to govern over creation on his behalf. And so understand this, guys. It's very important you get this. Government is designed by God to take creation towards a desirable destination. It's, it's here to actually take chaos and create order for the purpose of human flourishing. And the reason it's so important that you get this is because there is an idea that is growing in our culture right now that says we don't need the government. We don't need police officers. We don't need restrictions. We don't need authority. We don't need structure. All we need is just to learn how to be nice to each other and everything's going to be okay. And the problem with that is history and theology tells us life just doesn't work like that. I mean, because there's a thing called sin that plagues the human race, when we remove restraints in law and order, what happens is evil, and with it, death and destruction go unchecked and unabated. And so whether you like it or not, we need the government. This is why Jesus says, even when it comes to an imperfect and oppressive government, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And this isn't just something that we see right here. It's actually something that, that, that we see all throughout the New Testament. For example, in Romans 13, Paul is writing to the church in Rome who is under the authority of Nero. You guys know who Nero is? Nero is, there's probably never been a leader more mentally unstable and terrifying to be under than Nero. He would literally, think about this. Like you think our leaders are bad in our country. Nero would literally not only persecute Christians, but he would impel them on stakes and set them on fire in order to make sure that he could light up his dinner parties. That's, that's pretty bad. Would we agree with that at least? That's pretty rough. The church is under Nero's authority. And here's what Paul says to him. Romans 13, 1. Let everyone be subject to their governing authorities. Even Nero? Yeah, even Nero. For there is no authority except that which God has established. For the authorities that exist have been established by God. Here's another one. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. Again, Peter writing to a church that is being heavily persecuted by the government. He says this. 
Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. Do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. There are more passages we could read, but here's just my main point. If you are a disciple of Jesus, please hear me, guys. You are called to recognize, respect, and submit to the, to the government. No matter who you are, where you come from. So you know what that means? If you're a disciple of Jesus, you should vote. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you should pay your taxes. You should obey the laws. If you get a ticket, you shouldn't say, well, only God can judge me. Like, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. No, you should pay your ticket. I just got a ticket, by the way, on Friday. Just to be honest, uh, I don't know why you're laughing. And so, uh, and so I was looking for some sympathy because let me just say this has nothing to do with the rest of the sermon. I guess it kind of does, but I was trapped. Here's why I got the ticket. Okay. It's a little bit of blame shifting, but I was following as Adam even in here. There he is. There you are back there. Why aren't, oh, you're sitting with your family. I was like, why aren't you here? Um, I'm following Adam and Luke, and apparently when Luke's in Memphis, he thinks he's Dale Earnhardt all of a sudden. And he's like flying through Memphis traffic. I don't know where we're going. And so I'm trying to just follow Luke. He, he's blowing through red lights, but when I blow through a red light, guess who gets busted for it? This guy. So $55 ticket. I'll send it to Luke when he gets back from Telluride. So, um, but whenever you get these tickets, you're meant to pay them. In other words, what, 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 Jesus is saying here, when he says, give to Caesar what, he, what is Caesar's, he's saying, be a good citizen. Like you are to submit to your government. But then notice, he doesn't just say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but also give to God what is God's, which leads me to my second point, and that is this. Though we have an obligation to the government, our ultimate allegiance is to God. As you realize that according to the scripture, that if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are a citizen of the United States of America, but you're also a citizen of the kingdom of God. Like you're a citizen in the earthly city, but you're also a citizen in the heavenly city. And therefore, listen, not if, not if, but when the kingdom of this world begins to clash with the kingdom of God, when the ideas and ethics of our government goes against the kingdom of God, when these two are in conflict we are always obligated as disciples to go with the kingdom of God. You are obligated to resist the government whenever it forbids what God commands or commands what God forbids. And so, for example, if the government ever comes to you and says, you can't pray anymore or you can't read your Bible anymore, you should resist that, even if it means you go to jail. Or on the flip side, if they begin to command what God forbids and they say, hey, um, I know that you believe marriage between a man and a woman and all that, but, but you actually now have to adopt a secular version of sexuality. You should resist that, even if there are consequences. And so as disciples, we are to respect the government, but we're also called to resist the government when it is not, or when it causes us to be unfaithful to God. And there's a lot of examples I can give of this. Here's just one I'll read and then we'll move on. This is from Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Peter and John, um, and their lives have been changed by Jesus. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, one way you know you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, hear this, totally free. Didn't even say this the second or first service, but I think we need to hear it. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, how do you know? 
you can't help but talk about Jesus. So, just that's for somebody, maybe for me. Peter and John, before the Holy Spirit, they can't stop talking about Jesus. The government comes, says, you've got to stop talking about Jesus. How do they respond? Verse 18, it says, they called Peter and John, commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John, verse 19, replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges, but as for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. Which is why the early church began to experience so much persecution. So as disciples, we have an obligation to the government, but our ultimate allegiance is to God. With this in mind, here's all I want to do in the time we have left. I want to share with you five takeaways or five key principles that we need to apply to our politics in this season, okay? In light of what we see here in Mark 12 and throughout the scripture. So five key takeaways, um, five key principles. If you want to take notes, here's the first one. Jesus is political, but he's not partisan. Jesus is political. Did you know that? What I mean by that is, is, is Jesus actually wants your faith to inform all of your life. He wants it to inform your relationships. He wants it to inform your sexuality. He wants it to inform you emotionally and spiritually and physically and even politically. I think about that phrase in Romans 10 where Jesus or where Paul says that in order to be saved, you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Guys, that is a political statement. During this time period, everyone was required to confess Caesar is Lord. But Paul comes in and says, no, 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 there's a new king. There's a new ruler that you're to bring all of your life under, and it's Jesus Christ. So Jesus is political, but he is not partisan. Here's what I mean by that. Listen carefully, guys. Jesus is not a Republican. And he's not a Democrat. There are, you know, things we read in the scripture that make Jesus seem like a Republican. Jesus would be pro-life. Jesus is all about marriage between a man and a woman. That sounds pretty Republican. But he is also all about welcoming immigrants and caring for the poor, which sounds more democratic. And therefore, to say or to believe that Jesus lines up perfectly with a Republican or perfectly with a Democrat, and I say this with all due respect, but it's biblically naive to say the least. Tim Keller wrote an article in the New York Times, and here was the title of it. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Here's the title. How do Christians fit into the two-party system? They don't. He goes on to say, if that makes you uncomfortable, it is because, and he points this out in his article, we now live in a culture that tries to force us into what he calls package deal ethics. Here's what that means. It means, here's what the world tells you. If you line up with one issue... On the Republican side, you have to line up with every issue on the Republican side. Does that make sense? Or if you line up with one issue on the Democratic side, you have to line up with every issue that the Democrats line up with. And so here's what we're being told right now, guys. And just think about this. This is what you were being fed. If you really care about the unborn, and if you really care about owning guns, and you believe in a small government, you have to be Republican. Or if you really care about the poor, and you embrace the immigrant, and you want a bigger government, you have to be Democrat. And I just want to go on record to say this. If you're telling me I have to choose between the dignity of the unborn and care for the refugee, then I reject your man-made categories. I reject them. 
And if that bothers you, I think, like, if you guys, if you have begun to believe that a person has to be a Republican or a Democrat in order to be a disciple of Jesus, you have confused a political party with the kingdom of God. And you are actually more like a puppet than you are a disciple. When Jesus called his first disciples, guys, think about this. Just It's in the Bible. When Jesus called his first disciples, he had people on opposite ends of the political spectrum. Have you ever thought about that? He had Simon the Zealot who hated the Roman government. Hated. Violently. Hated the Roman government. And then he had Matthew the tax collector who worked for the Roman government. And one of the bigger government. And rather than Jesus saying, hang on a second now, guys. One of you is going to have to swap your political parties in order to be with me. No, he called them both to be his disciples. So Jesus is political, but he's not partisan. Second key takeaway that we need to apply in this season is this. Allegiance to Jesus' kingdom determines our dedication to the country and not vice versa. Our allegiance to Christ and his kingdom shapes our commitment and responsibility to our country and not the other way around. And if you hear that and you're like, okay, no duh, like Jared, that's simple enough. Let's move on to the next point. I'd say not so fast. Because if you grew up pledging allegiance to the flag every day, but you only ran to Jesus when you needed something, I would say there's a good chance your loyalties are more lopsided than you think they are. And so here's just a couple of diagnostic questions to figure out if this is you. Here's number one, and please don't answer this out loud, please. Do you feel, question number one, do you feel that you have more in common with people who share your faith but not your politics, or do you have more in common with people who share your politics and not your faith? If you are a Christian Republican who feels more at home with an unbelieving Republican than you do a believing Democrat, there might be a problem. Second question, which do you care more about, making America a great nation or making disciples of all nations? This is from uh, Dr. Russell Moore. Uh, he's the president of Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. He was also my professor in seminary, taught me systematic theology. Super sharp guy, loves Jesus. He says this, Our end goal is not a Christian America, either as a made-up past or a hope for a future. Our end goal is the kingdom of Christ, made up of every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. Now, with that said, because I know what the enemy is going to try to do in this sermon is put words in my mouth that I'm not saying. Let me just be very clear here. I love the United States of America. I really do. I know a lot of people my age don't, and that's just because they've not traveled outside of our country. And Europe doesn't count, by the way. They've not spent any time with people that are not from America. One of the things I love about being in a, been in a missional community that, that works with refugees in our city is you get to talk with people from other parts of the world and you realize just how good we have it. Uh, guys, we right now, the United States, experience more freedom and opportunity and resources and justice than most people have ever experienced anywhere in the world throughout history. So I love the United States of America. My grandfather's fought in World War II. One of my grandfathers received a Purple Heart for his service over there. Um, I vote. I pay taxes. I shoot off fireworks on 4th of July. I eat apple pie as long as it's gluten-free. Right? So I love our country, and I hope you do as well. But listen, that being said, again, we must make sure our allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom shapes our dedication to our country and not the other way around. Third point. The way, this is very important, especially in this season, the way we talk about politics is just as important as what we believe about politics. 
The problem in our country right now is not that we disagree over politics. The problem is we've lost the ability to dialogue with people that we disagree with over politics. And so what happens is whenever someone disagrees with you, they're one of two things. They're either an idiot or they're evil. And this is why, for example, we say things like, well, no reasonable person would ever dot, dot, dot. Or no Christian would ever you fill in the blank. And guys, listen, I get it. We're dealing with some very important issues right now. There's a lot at stake and it's emotionally charged. But just hear this, please. From the best I can tell, and I've read this cover to cover, you will never find in here in black and white who you should vote for in 2020. won't say anything about it. But you know what it will say a lot about? It will say a whole lot about how you should engage with conversation, especially with people who are considered to be your enemies. And so can we just do this as a church, please? Can we be known for a church that engages with people across the aisle with love? Like, let's be loving. Let's engage in conversations by showing respect. Did you realize you will never look into the eyes of another human being who is not created in the image of God? And therefore, you should respect them as an image bearer. Let's show empathy. Do you know what it means to show empathy? It means to put yourself in their shoes. I remember whenever I was on the debate team at Arkansas State University, my debate coach, Chris Harper, um, one day I came into practice and he said this. He said, Jared, are you pro-life or are you pro-choice? And I said, I am pro-life. And he said, okay, well, today you're going to argue pro-choice. I said, well, I can't do that. He said, well, then you're not ready to argue for pro-life because you should not ever argue against something unless you understand why someone else believes the way they believe or do what they do. Put yourself in their shoes. They're not just an idiot, and they're not always just evil. There's a story behind why they are the way they are, and they believe the way they believe. And so I just want to encourage you in this season, guys, please, let's humbly listen to others to try to figure out why they believe what they believe before you give them your two cents worth. And this isn't just Jared speaking. Listen to what James says. James chapter 1, verse 19. Command, be quick to listen and slow to speak. How about we memorize that during the season? Here's another one, Proverbs 10, 19. Where words are many, sin abounds. There's a reason why we have two ears and one mouth, as my wife reminds me often. And that is because we should listen twice as much as we speak. So let's do that in this season. And by the way, let me say this real fast before I move on to the next point. This all applies to social media as well. Okay? I don't know where this came from, but for some reason we think that the rules of cross-like engagement don't apply on social media. Crude talk online is still crude talk. Hatred on Facebook is still hatred. And so whether it's in a post or in person, how you talk about politics is just as important as what you believe about politics. Fourth key takeaway. The best political action you can take this season is to be involved in a church that believes Jesus is king. A lot of people will tell you that the church is not political. Actually, I don't know if a lot of people will tell you that. They might not say. They might tell you actually it is political. And the way they mean it is not true, or it shouldn't be. But the church actually is political. 
And here's what I mean by that. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, which we spent time in this year, Jesus says the church is called to be a city on a hill. The word that is used there for city is the word poly, which is where we get our English word politics from. What Jesus is saying is that as a church, guys, we're called to be a city within a city. We're called to live in such a way. We don't just show up here, listen to a sermon, kind of go do our own thing. But we're actually called by how we live and how we speak to show people a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. We're to show people a better way to live. Like This is what life is like under the rule and reign of Jesus. Which means then, listen, as the church, the most political action you can take this year is to use your power not to oppress people, but to serve people. It's to use your words and actions not to shame and cut people down, but to honor them and build them up. No matter who they are, every man, woman, and child, no matter their color or where they come from. As a church, we're called to choose forgiveness over bitterness, generosity over greed, personal responsibility over blame shifting, peace over anxiety, personal holiness and self-control over public rants. I, I really believe it grieves the heart of God that we have so many conservatives and so many people in the church who will bash Donald Trump for his sexual immorality and then turn right around and look at pornography when nobody's looking. Or on the other side, we'll have people within the church or conservatives who will bash Joe Biden for not supporting or holding to, uh, you know, the traditional marriage between a man and a woman, and yet they won't even take their role uh, seriously as a spouse. They won't truly love their own spouse that is with them in their home. And I just want to say today, like, if you truly want to make a difference, let's be the church that lives as if Jesus is king. You can do very little to change other people. Hate to disappoint you. You can do a lot to try to change yourself. Let's focus there. I love what Matt Smithhurst says. He says, if God's plan for the universe depended on America, we would have every reason to panic. <laughs> Isn't that true? But thankfully, his plan no more depends on America than it did on the Holy Roman Empire. The gates of hell may one day prevail against our nation, but it will never prevail against the church. And by the way, that is not just Matt Smith. That's Jesus' words itself from the scriptures. And so if you really want to make a political stand in this season, let's stand with the church that is committed to bringing all of life under the lordship of Jesus. Which brings me to my final and last point, and that is this. Though political involvement is our duty, Jesus is our hope. The government is good, but Jesus is ultimate. The government is powerful, but it is limited in what it can do. And therefore, listen, let me encourage you guys, please. Resist the temptation to buy into the lie that politics or a certain candidate can do for you what only God can do for you. In Isaiah chapter 9, the prophet Isaiah is telling of a day where God is going to send His Son Jesus into the world to redeem and restore creation. And here is what He says. Listen to this. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on His shoulders, and He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of His government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness, from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord. Not the Republican Party, not the Democratic Party. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Well, let me end with some good news this morning. 
no matter what political party that you align yourself with, our future hope and security and happiness and significance does not rest on the shoulders of Joe Biden or Donald Trump, but on Jesus Christ. The eternal servant king who is loving and compassionate and all-powerful and he is ruling and he is reigning. And therefore, because he cannot be defeated and he cannot be impeached and he cannot be infected with COVID-19, as disciples, our future is secure and the best really is yet to come. I want to end with this note I found from my daughter today. She wrote this back in June. I think I can put it on the screen. But uh, excuse me for a moment while I check my Facebook. Just kidding. It's actually, I can't, I can't read it. Uh, <laughs> my jokes always like fall so flat in the second service. Oh, man, you guys are great. I love y'all. You just don't laugh at anything. So, but it's all good. Uh, <laughs> and so, no, um, my daughter wrote this back in June. And I just wanted to share it with you as, as encouragement. She wrote this because she wanted our, her cousins to come to our 4th of July get-together. <clears throat> Here's what she said. Uh, Dear other picnics, you're welcome to our house this July 4th. Me, mom, papa said they'll join. Please come at 530. Sincerely, the other picnics. P.S. Do not fear of the sickness of the corona. The Lord our God is the King of Kings and He is here for us. And he will not let us fall. Double PS, but you don't have to come if you don't want to. <laughs> it's like, hey, if you don't believe he's king, king, and lord of lords, that's on you, all right? She's totally like, like she, it's like, you know, you just as a pastor, as a father, it's like, just throw that shame in there, just very so subtle. But hey, you don't have to follow Jesus, that's okay. Triple PS, please, please come. So, I just share that to say this. As Nora, I think, would say it better than me. Um, Listen, Jesus does not need your vote. He is not asking for permission to be the king. He is the king. And so all he's asking today is that you will reorient all of your life, including your politics, around him. And trust that when you do, guys, listen, even if it's the corona right? Or whatever else comes at us because Jesus is on his throne. Guys, hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And so here's what I want us to do. Let's, let's transition to a time of communion before you start shuffling around. Um, when you take communion today, let's be reminded of our identity. And so when you take this if you've trusted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, remember this. You are not primarily a Republican or a Democrat. You are a brother or sister to the person in this room. You're a child of God. And we don't let politics divide our family. Our bond that we have in Jesus is way stronger than any of that stuff. Our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus. And so if you're here and you've brought your life under the Lordship of Christ, take communion. But let me say this, guys. It's very important, okay? It's very important. Whether you're watching online still or you're here. If you have not trusted in Jesus as your Lord, He is not your Savior. 
Do not trust in a prayer that you prayed 15 years ago. Jesus is asking you right now to confess in your heart and with your life that He is Lord, which means He's asking you not just to give Him your afterlife, but to give Him this life. And so I just want to ask you to do this. If you're here and you've not done that, rather than receiving communion, receive Jesus. Bring your life to Him and recognize that He actually knows better how to rule and reign than you do. And know that when you do that, you can receive forgiveness of your sins. And you can receive the life and the fulfillment and the freedom and the joy that you're longing for. And if you want more information about that, I'll be up here in the front. would love to talk with you about it. That said, let's stand together. The band is going to lead us in another song and you can take communion as you feel led to do so. But let me pray for us. Father, I do pray for everyone who is watching online and everyone who is here in person that we would be a people who put our ultimate hope in you, Jesus. Grant us faith. Grant us repentance. God, please grant our country repentance. I pray for for Trump, whether he's reelected, or Joe Biden, whether he's elected, that if there's any seed of faith in them, that you would grow that and produce a bunch of fruit. I do pray that for all of our government officials, you command us to do that. Help us to be a people that more than we complain about them, that we would pray for them. Father, I pray that before that we try to point out the, 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 the speck in someone else's eye, that we'd be a church that looks at the, the plank in our own eye. And so I pray that right now it would just be a personal time of not thinking across the aisle about the Republican or the Democrat or the person next to us or behind us or in front of us, but about our own hearts. Give us soft hearts, Lord. Give us clean hearts. Give us clean hands. We know that 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 is the way that truly we experience you in fullness. I pray that as we take communion right now, that we would be reminded that in you is forgiveness no matter what we did last night. In you, we are forgiven and we are free. And I pray pray that from that place, God, that we will go forth with passion and conviction and that we will live truly as a city within a city. For your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.